"'Twas the week after Christmas and all through the house. Nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. The cookies I'd nibbled, the eggnog I'd taste, at the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I got on the scale, there arose such a number. When I walked to the store, less a walk than a lumber. I'd remember the marvelous meals I'd prepared, the gravies and sauces and beef nicely reared, the bread and the cheese and the way I'd never said, no, thank you, please. As I dressed myself in my husband's old shirt and prepared once again to do battle with dirt, I said to myself, as only I can, you can't spend a winter disguised as a man. So away with the last of the sour cream dip. Get rid of the fruitcake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food that I like must be vanished, even if it means that I will feel famished. I won't have a cookie, not even a lick. I'll only chew on a long celery stick. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore. But isn't that what January is for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good diet. <laughs> yeah, that, that was Michaela Bramble. If you don't know Michaela, that's her wheelhouse right there. So, Anybody feel like that this morning? Like that kind of resonated, or maybe you're looking over here at the, um, the, 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 the shrapnel of Christmas, and you're like, hey, that looks like my house. Anybody feeling that a little bit this morning? <clears throat> like this is a strange week, the, the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's just kind of an odd time. We're, we're celebrating. We're not really sure what, uh, but we're not sure what's coming, but something's coming and something just happened. It's like we spend so much time and energy and effort and uh, money getting ready for Christmas, right? Preparing for Christmas. And then it happens like boom, and it's gone. It's so quick. Like if you have little kids, maybe Christmas morning or whatever, they came tearing downstairs and you came stumbling uh, downstairs because you stayed up too late wrapping everything on Christmas Eve, and, uh, and they tore their stuff open, and it was this flurry of paper and boxes and, and, and bows, and then, and then they had their stuff, and, and, and it's all over, and they're just like, their children are buried under the tree, and, and you just sit down in a chair, and you're like, Any, anybody kind of like that this morning a little bit? Like, like Christmas sometimes is uh, exhausting. We spend so much energy, so much effort getting ready for Christmas. And then it happens, and then like, you ask the question, well now what? Like, like, do you ever feel like there's kind of a letdown after Christmas? It's so exciting, right? You saw your kid or your spouse or your friend, and you gave them that perfect gift, and their face just lit up, and you're like, this is awesome, then they left the house, not your kid, hopefully your friend, or your kid, you know, is playing with it, or now it's in the corner, it doesn't matter anymore, or whatever. And there's a sense of kind of, like, it's over. Now what do we do? Like, Christmas is over. How, how strange is that? What happens next? What happens after Christmas? 
Well, it's, it's interesting because as I was thinking through this concept that we're going to talk about this morning, um, last week I celebrated, Emily and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, and, um, and so I was thinking about that, that, that night 20 years ago, afternoon 20 years ago, when I proposed to her, because we had this very weird experience. We were, we were like 21 years old, we were young and poor and stupid, and, and we had like nothing. Matter of fact, I was living, um, I was doing ministry at a church, I was living with the church family in their driveway, in a trailer. Nothing says, ready to be married. <laughs> Anyways, so, so, uh, so I've been preparing this, this for a while. We bought, I bought a ring. I, I, I planned out this whole uh, afternoon. Um, the family I was living with had this coupon for a really, really expensive restaurant, a really nice restaurant called The Odyssey. Oh right? Uh, you had to go at four o'clock because <laughs> that's when it was cheaper. And so we went at four o'clock. Some of you are like, well, that's when I eat dinner every night. What are you talking about? You'll, you'll get it. Okay. So uh, we go at four o'clock uh, to eat dinner and uh, we, we, it's a super nice restaurant as part of the hors d'oeuvre course. They had like um, caviar, whatever that is. It was weird. Um, and it's super elegant. The, the waiter's all dressed up. He's got like this white uh, towel thing on his arm. Part of the uh, coupon, coupon, <laughs> a part of the coupon uh, was that we got a free bottle of wine with dinner. And so uh, he came and he poured this little tiny amount in my glass. And I was like, uh, okay. What do I do now? <laughs> I had no clue. We knew nothing. So we get through dinner. We have a great time, great meal. And uh, Emily really loves the ocean. So we went to the beach afterwards. I had a blanket out, a little candle. And I had my hand in my pocket on that ring box. Fellas, do you remember that? Remember that moment before you proposed? When you had your hand on that ring box or whatever that was, and you're like, you're terrified? Because <laughs> you know she's going to say yes. But you're like, what if she doesn't, <laughs> you know? And then you're excited, but then you're like, man, my life changes in 30 seconds here, and I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. And you got all this weird, th- are you with me, boys? Like, you're, okay, remember this? Okay, so I got my hand on the box, and we're laying on this plank, and it's like, oh, it's all pretty sunset, okay, whatever. And, uh, and I pull it out, I open it, and I ask her to marry me, and she says yes, and we're all excited, we're going to get married, we hug and we kiss. And then what do you do? (laughs) Like in every movie, right after the proposal, it fades to black. It goes to the commercial break, right? It comes back after commercial, and it's a few days later, and the family's all there. Well, we're on a beach in real life going, cool, okay, what do we... What do we do now? I think Emily said, can I call, can I call my, my mom? Do I call my mom? What do I do? I'm, I don't know. Christmas is kind of similar, right? I mean, we spend so much energy preparing for this Christmas event, and, and uh, we've got the nativity set out, we've got the Christmas Eve services, and we've eaten all the goodies, and we've got the presents wrapped under the tree, and Christmas happens, and it's so exciting, and it's so awesome. And then What? What happens next? So that's the idea I want to push around the table this morning. I want to play with this thought of what happens after Christmas. And the way that we'll play with this thought is by looking at four characters from the original Christmas story, from the very first Christmas. So we'll look at four characters and figure out what did they do after Christmas. Fair enough? Makes some sense? I'll put all the verses on the screen for you this morning so you don't have to try and find anything, but you're welcome to do that. And again, if you're a kid or if you're like me, feel free to grab this sheet. There's all kinds of stuff to color and fill in and we'll have some fun with it. We want to look first at at the first character of Christmas in my mind, which is the shepherds. I love the shepherds. The shepherds, right? The shepherds, probably younger um, boys, maybe somewhere between age, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that age range. Uh, being a shepherd is not the most exciting job on the planet. It's a lot of boredom. You sit there watching sheep 
It's not overly exciting. It doesn't require, uh, be careful if there's any shepherds here. We don't, this is different now. It's back in the day. It didn't require a whole level of skill. That's why they gave it to younger guys. Now it's totally different. I get it. I completely understand. But back then, you know, you could be a younger guy and do shepherding real well. You're just out there with the sheep. This is their day job. All day long, all night long, they're just with sheep. They're probably sitting around. I always picture one of the shepherds has a harp. I don't know why. But they're singing some songs and they're just doing their shepherd thing, right? Every now and then something really exciting happens like a sheep makes a sound Ooh, all right the sheep okay and so this is the shepherds this is what they do there's a few of them there they're watching the sheep but on this night everything blows apart it's night and like heaven opens these angels come down they yell it's probably sounded like screaming it was so quiet and they're singing and the shepherds are like why is this not sheep right and the she- the angels are like excited and they're singing and they say hey there's this king is born to this young couple you got to go check it out in bethlehem and they go oh, okay because what do you do when angels tell you to do something you just do it right so they run into town and they find this young family uh, with this brand new baby in this stable cave thing and they go in and they find them and they're so excited and they tell Mary and Joseph the story about these angels that came and they're just like oh this is so awesome and they 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 worship Jesus right there and and I don't know how long that took but eventually they get up and they say okay time to go and then what happened have you ever asked that question like what happened after that what did the shepherds do I mean, in, in our nativity sets, they just stay in the, in, the, in the stable forever. They go in a box for another year, right? But the real shepherds, what did they do after finding this family? Well, the Bible gives us just a little glimpse of what they did. In Luke uh, chapter 2, it says this. It says, And the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It says that these shepherds returned to their fields, But meanwhile, back at the ranch, there were sheep to be tended and pastures to be cultivated and fences to be mended and little lambs to be guarded and wool to be sheared. There was a lot of routine work to be done. Shepherds returned to their regular job. There were still sheep. They were still kind of dumb. They still kind of stank. There was still still Timmy who played the harp. They returned to their normal jobs, the routine, everyday existence. My hunch is, though, that they didn't return the way they were before. The moments before the angels came and who they were then, I think they returned very different men because it's interesting. It tells us that they returned to their fields, their normal, routine, boring, everyday jobs, glorifying and praising God. They returned very different guys. They returned very different people. Returned to an ordinary life, but changed inside. No longer were they living just for the sheep or whatever, but they recognized like God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, even in my everyday boring sheep watching routine. The shepherds returned to their regular everyday stuff, but they did so very different people. And I hope that's the case with us. I hope after spending the last month looking Jesus in the eye, where our entire country really kind of pauses, whether they know it or not, to think about and talk about and reflect on Jesus. I hope after looking at Jesus eyeball to eyeball for the last month, we're going to return to our normal day jobs tomorrow, but I hope that we return very different people. Shepherds sure did. Second characters of Christmas, we got this, uh, some of the most mysterious ones, the wise men. 
right? The wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. Uh, tradition says three. We don't uh, really know reason for that other than three uh, gifts are mentioned. So maybe each one had a present. That makes some sense. There might have been one who had three gifts. There might have been 50 and, you know, uh, 47 who forgot to bring something. I don't know. Whoever many, there's wise men. But these wise men from the east, you know, these guys are like scholars, intellectuals. They have enough money to be able to uh, take off of work for however long it took them to get from wherever the east is to wherever Bethlehem was. Some folks think uh, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half for them to do that travel. These guys probably had some wealth, had some intellect, had some education and training. So probably they didn't travel by themselves. Most likely they had a driver or maybe some servants, or a valet, whatever that is, uh, or some entourage that came with them, right? So we got the wise men. The wise men, at some point in their readings and studies, had landed on a passage that told them, hey, this king of Israel is going to be born to some young parents in a little know-nothing place called Bethlehem, uh, and there's going to be this star that somehow signals it. And events somehow, however this worked, as they look up in the sky, they lock in on this magnificent, phenomenal, celestial event that somehow, have you ever thought about how the uh, wise men got from where they were to Bethlehem? We know they follow a star. That makes sense at night, right? You can see stars at night. How did it work during the day? Like, was that star just that brilliant that during the day they were like, oh, there it is, no problem. They just kept walking. It takes them a year, however they're doing this. They're following this star. They figured this out. This, this, this entire journey happens on this journey. They end up coming into this area of Israel where they meet the king of Israel, a, a psychopath named Herod. We learn more about Herod later. He was so uh, concerned about losing the throne that he actually uh, gives out an edict to kill all the boys two years and younger to be sure that this supposed king of the Jews that was just born wouldn't live. So he tries to kill all these kids. He kills a number of them, right? So they, they meet this psychopath Herod they spend some time talking with him they leave his palace they move on to this this by this point it's a house that Jesus is in it's no longer this stable cave the Bible tells us he's in a house and it calls him a child so maybe he's a year old maybe he's a year and a half toddling around doing whatever year old kids do right and these wise men come to this place and they 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 ring the doorbell in my head it's an entourage of a bunch of people they ring the doorbell and Joseph opens the door to these uh, fairly wealthy, educated, uh, Eastern-looking, whatever that is, individual standing at the door saying, hey, we're here to see the baby. And Joseph lets him in the house. That's crazy, right? Okay, so he lets him in the house, and they come in, and, and they, they, they share this conversation. They probably drank up all the eggnog and ate all the leftover pretzels that were there, and these wise men have this encounter with the family and with this child Jesus. And it says that they worship him, and at some point, they pull some gifts out of their pockets, and they say, hey, guys, these are for you. Merry Christmas, right? And Mary and Joseph are taking these and trying to figure out what's going on. Like, this is so bizarre. And the wise men have this interaction with Mary and Joseph and with Jesus. I don't know what that looked like. Like, what did the wise men and Jesus do? I was standing in the back, and a family walked in with a little tiny one, and, and she goes, give him a fist bump, and he gave me a fist bump. Is that what Jesus did to the wise men? I don't know. Was fist bump a thing then? Mary's like, give him a fist bump. He's like, okay. You know, or, I don't know. He had this interaction with Jesus. They recognized that he's this Messiah that their books had been talking about. And they just feel this sense of awe and wonder. 
How long were the wise men in the house? I have no idea. A couple hours, the pretzel's gone, the eggnog's gone. Joseph's like, well, time for a nap. Uh, Got to get Jesus down. Maybe it's time for goodbye. And they're like, okay, it's time for us to leave. What happened after that? Like Christmas was this awesome event for them. It had been a year in planning and travel and transport, and they got there and they did it. And then what? The Bible gives us a little clue over in Matthew. Chapter 2, it says this uh, um, about the, the wise men. It says, and being warned in a dream, so somehow uh, they had had this dream, if all of them had it or one of them had it, I don't know. It says, and being warned in, a, uh, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They departed to their own country. Like they went home. A year of travel to get to Mary and Joseph in Jesus' place. And they have this event. Okay, see you later. And a year to get home? Why not? Probably the same length of travel time, right? And so they head home, and they're moving home, and they're going to go back to the things that are familiar to them, to their favorite places to eat, to their favorite place to go watch a movie because they know it's $2 on Tuesday, right? To their, to their little shortcuts that they know how to get around all the traffic when it drives them nuts, right? They go back to the things that are familiar, their culture and their language, where everybody looks like them and dresses like them, and it's not nearly as weird as the places they had just visited, right? They go back home to their own country. But my guess is the conversation on the way home looked way different and sounded way different than the conversation on the way out. What were they talking about for that year as they traveled? What were they saying to each other? I mean, were they, were they, at some point they had to wake up six months into this journey and go, John, do you have the right star? I don't, I don't know, man. It's been six months. This is crazy. Right? Or it's somewhere along the journey. Did Benny just drive them all nuts? And they're like, Benny, one more joke and I will throat punch you. Right? That's the, the questions as they're traveling to this Jesus. They, they have questions. They're like, what happens when we find him? What are you going to say? Are you going to talk first? No, you talk first. I'm not talking. I'm just going to give him the present. Like they have questions. What's he going to look like? What's he going to be like? Is the family going to let us in? What will we say afterwards? What is this? How will we know? How will we get all questions, right? That's the journey out. The journey back? All the questions had been answered in this person of Jesus Christ. So their trip back wasn't about questions anymore, but it had to be about, what are we going to do with this? What does the application look like? Where are we going to teach this and share this and think this through with others? And how do we help them to see what we've seen? And, and when we show them the pictures of the star and the baby and stuff uh, on our iPads, what, what are we going to say about it? We've got to write some songs about this. Like, we've got to celebrate this. Like, they... they they went back to their own country, the normal stuff of life. But they were very different individuals. They knew they had an answer, and they had a purpose and a passion. So they went back home to normal life with a renewed or a new sense of purpose and passion. The wise men. My hope, my hope is that that's true of us as well. As we spent a night looking into the eyes of Jesus... And reading the story again of how God loved us so much that he wrapped his own son in human flesh and gave him to an engaged teenage couple to care for. Like we, we looked into Jesus' eyes. And I hope 
that if Christmas is all over for us, that we're not just walking out into our normal days, doing the normal things. We're walking out into our normal days, but we have a renewed sense of passion and purpose. All right, third character in the story, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, man, they get, we, we talk about Mary and Joseph a lot. There's a lot that's written about uh, Mary and Joseph. Just interesting, interesting characters in this entire story, who they were, their age, all that kind of stuff. Mary and Joseph had a nine-month adventure. It started with this revelation that they were going to have a baby and it was going to be God's. What? Somehow they wrapped their head around that and said, okay, we're in. And, 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 and somewhere along the way, they realized, oh, we've got to go to Bethlehem to, to be counted for this census. Taxes are stupid, but we're going to go because we have to. And, and, so, and so Joseph takes this uh, very pregnant uh, wife and, and somehow transports her from where they were to Bethlehem, probably not on a donkey because I don't think pregnant women do really well on donkeys. But anyhow, they get there, and by the time they get there, because she had to make a number of stops along the way because the bladder, okay, and, and he had to make some stops for jerky, whatever, and by the time they get there, all the rooms are taken and the whole town is full and they're not sure what to do. And, and I know Joseph is way more godly than I am, but if it were me, I'd be frustrated and angry and like stinking. I hate this stupid Bethlehem, right? And so I don't know what Joseph is thinking or saying, but somehow an innkeeper hears this, this issue and says, hey, I got a place that I keep the sheeps and stuff. You're welcome to hang out there and warm up if you want. And they go, okay. And so they go into this, this stable, and it's all very pretty in our manger scenes, but it was probably more like a, a poop-filled cave. I, can I? I just said that. Uh, a cave that the shepherds would just hang out in. Whatever, they're in this stable, and they're out of the rain. And, and, and in, in that moment, they deliver a baby, a baby. I didn't read doctors in the story. I didn't read nurses in the story. There's a baby all of a sudden, and Mary and Joseph, and they're just trying to figure this out. And as the baby is there, and they're like, okay, we got this dialed in, and these psychotic shepherds show up, running into the cave like wild men, freaking out about angels and stuff. Okay, they figure that out. The shepherds leave, and they take a breath. Mary and Joseph, they take a breath. They, okay, uh, now what? Now what do we do? And the Bible just gives us this little tiny picture of Mary and Joseph. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, just pause for a second there. So these guys are Jewish, and they have all kinds of Jewish rituals and festivals and traditions that they're going to keep. And this is one of them, that about uh, six, seven, eight days after a baby is born, that whole, the mom and the baby, they're going to go to this temple, and they're going to do this uh, sacrifice that's going to, you know, uh, part of what God had prescribed, and there's all this history to it and whatnot. But basically, they're being part of the normal culture of the day. They're doing the normal cultural stuff. So it says that they uh, the rite of purification according to the law of Moses. They brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I know, that was the most devotional piece of Bible you've read this entire Christmas season, right? Like that means so much to my life. What's interesting about it is what they sacrificed. Because in Leviticus 12, it actually says the sacrifice for this brand new mom situation is a lamb. You're supposed to get a lamb. Lambs cost some money. And there was this little, in in that Levitical law that God gave, there was this little parenthetical afterwards, this little 10-point font that said, but if they can't afford a lamb, if they're too poor, then two pigeons is okay. 
So what do we know about Mary and Joseph right out the beginning? These guys were poor. These guys were poor. Couldn't afford a lamb. They had to do this customary cultural thing. They had to buy a couple of pigeons. That's all they could afford. These guys were poor. Mary and Joseph, really, really likely that Joseph is already thinking, okay, uh, where's our next meal coming from? Okay, we're in this place. We've got to find a place. The stable ain't working out. People have cleared out. The tax thing is over. So we've got to just rent some place. How, how are we going to do that? Where am I going to scrounge together enough cash just to rent a small trailer in someone's driveway? Right? Where, where am I going to get enough cash just to feed mama and me and baby for the next couple of days? Maybe, maybe Joseph is going behind the, the local Home Depot getting some scrap wood trying to figure out if he can build a horse or a chair or something that he can sell, make enough money just to get through this week. Like Mary and Joseph were very normal people in a very normal life. They might have been the mom and dad of Jesus, but they did not live this amazing, easy, simple life. After Christmas, they went into a normal struggle of life. My guess is a lot like you and I. Some of us here this morning are thinking already, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to get enough cash for my next meal. Or you're thinking, yeah, I don't have a place and I don't know where I'm going to live next. Or you're thinking, yeah, you know, um, I, I'm going home today to the, that house that I live in that has the same cracks and the same broken plumbing and the same shingles falling off that it did uh, last week. Or you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to uh, climb into bed tonight with that person that I lay next to, but just drives me absolutely nuts. Or you think, yeah, I got the same kids that I had last week, the ones that just won't listen or care at all. I, I don't know your situation. But whatever it is, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty, it's interesting because Mary and Joseph stepped back into regular life that was difficult and hard and challenging. Matter of fact, the other thing that we know about Mary and Joseph, we, we don't hear anything really about them for the next 12 years. At age, when Jesus is 12, um, they take a family trip back to the temple for some other customary cultural stuff, and it talks about Mary and Joseph in that situation. So we hear of Joseph again when Jesus is 12. But between Jesus' 12th year and about 30 is when he comes back on the scene with the miracles and Jesus teaching and rabbi and stuff. Uh, we, don't, we don't hear much. But what's interesting is after age 12, we hear um, about Mary very often. And, and we hear about Jesus' brothers and sisters sometimes. But Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, was never mentioned again. Not once. And so the thinking on it is that it's a really good odds that Joseph died sometime between when Jesus was 12-ish and sometime when we meet him again when he's 30-ish. Possibly, very possibly, as a young teen, Joseph died and Mary was a single mom. Mary's single mom raising Jesus but raising some siblings as well. She's got a brood of three or four or five kids in a culture where jobs for females wasn't prevalent. Trying to figure out how do I make this work? Kind of cool, she had some gifts from these wise men that probably helped get through the cash flow issues throughout those years. Single mom, very likely Jesus being raised by a single mom. Trying to make that work somehow. No way did Mary and Joseph have this easy, easy life. And yet, the thing that we see about Mary and even Joseph is that it seems like they never lose hope. Matter of fact, at the end of the Christmas story when Jesus is born, and so we get this little line where it says, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And I think that's a future going on line, a sentence that went on to the future, that, that there was a sense of hope in Mary and Joseph, even in the difficulties of life, even in the struggles, a lot like the struggles that we face, that maybe you're coming up on 
next. It doesn't mean that we lose hope. If a couple of young teens can hang on to hope, the kind that only a relationship with Jesus brings, then we can too. If a young father can look into the eyes of his Savior's son and whisper into his wife's ear, Honey, it'll be okay. God's taking care of us this far, and I don't think he's going to quit on us now. We can have that same sense of hope. So yeah, today, tomorrow, yesterday, we stepped right back into real life. The bills are there, the people are there, the jerks are there, the house is there, the stuff is there. But we step back into life, I hope, after spending a month looking into the eyes of Jesus, we step back into real life with a renewed sense of hope. God's got a plan and something great for us in this relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, last character of Christmas. Uh, Jesus, it'd be kind of bad if we didn't use him as a character. Jesus, uh, we, we get this beautiful, beautiful picture, these nativity sets, these manger scenes of baby Jesus just, just laying there all cuddled up. Oh, he's so beautiful right there, right? Just his little hands and stuff. Did Jesus stay a baby, though? No way, right? He went and he lived life. That's right, you guys. He didn't. He went and he lived life. He grew up. Like Jesus moved on in life. But it's interesting because in this life, here's how it's kind of written. It says, The story did not end in Bethlehem. There was a murder of innocent children by the monstrous King Herod who killed all the little boys two years and younger. There was the flight to Egypt and the return to Nazareth where Jesus grew up a carpenter's shop. There was his great ministry, his parables, his teaching, his miracles. Then there was the arrest and the trial and painful execution, the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. Jesus went and lived life. This is how uh, the writer, Paul, he, he writes a bunch of the New Testament in Philippians, his letter to a church in Philippi. This is what he says about this. He says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like Jesus lived a life for us. And Jesus lived a life of purpose for us. See, Jesus wasn't about just getting through the day. It's not like Jesus woke up every day and was like, I just got to make it through today. I just got to make it through today. Like Jesus, we get this sense that Jesus lived every day with purpose and on mission. Like the sense of him calling others to a right relationship with God. And he's about 30 years old. He comes on the scene, and that's what we read in these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We read how Jesus is calling people to pay attention to the kingdom of heaven. Like Jesus says, I want you to have this right relationship with God. Every day, Jesus wakes up with this sense of passion and purpose, who he is, life lived on mission. Not just waking up going, yeah, it's Monday. I just got to make it through Monday. I get it. Monday's rough for me. But Jesus woke up every day with a sense of passion and purpose. Paul uh, continues this thought in Philippians 2. He says, uh, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus lived every day with a sense of purpose. Christmas came for him. He was born he didn't just make it through the best he could. Every day lived on purpose and mission. And today, Jesus is still in the business of calling people, you and me, normal people with regular, everyday, blah, sheep-watching type, poor lives, 
Jesus is in the business of calling us to something much higher, much bigger, bigger, bigger adventure with him. Jesus is still in that business today. This, this whole concept that, that Paul worked out very eloquently, he had kind of a lawyer mind in Philippians, he worked this out really eloquently. The gospel writer John, he summed it up like this. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you know this? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He summed it up so, so simply. It's been really cool because Kids World, are you guys, some of you guys are from Kids World, right? Kids World Kids? In Kids World, they've been working on this thought for the last month or so. This idea, this concept. And they're doing it in pictures. And so they've had these uh, four pictures that they've been working on for a month. And the first one is that heart. This idea that God loved us so much. Jesus, God loved us so much that that second picture, he sent Jesus, his son, to live, but also to die for us. Because he loved us so much. And not only did he send, I'm pointing back there at the picture, sorry, I'll point up here. Not only did he love us so much and send us uh, Jesus to live and to die, but, but this little stick person here, it means that, that, that you can have a relationship with him. Like if you believe that, you can have this relationship with Jesus, which is an awesome thing. And then not only can you have a relationship with Jesus, but you can tell others about that. You can tell others what a relationship with Jesus is all about and what it means, which starts the whole cycle over. So that they can know that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus not only to to be born and to live, but to die for them as well because they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're so excited about that, they can tell others. Which starts the whole cycle again. Are you with me? This is kind of cool, right? This is all you're going to take out of this. I've been talking 30 minutes. This is what every adult's going to get. Is that's a I love that picture. I love that picture, right? Kids world, you guys get it, huh? You've been talking about it for a month. This whole idea. Well, this, this is how Paul finishes the thought. A little more complicatedly, he says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Christmas is over. What do we do? What happens next? Well, for the shepherds, Christmas was over, but they went back into their regular routine of life. Very different people. Because they knew that God was with them. Like this Jesus was born, God with us, even in the mundane, boring tasks of my everyday life. And the wise men, Christmas was over for them. They started the journey back home, but they had an answer to the question. And they were excited about figuring out, how do we share this answer with everybody around us? They had a sense of passion and purpose. Mary and Joseph, amidst all the struggles, Christmas might have been over and life hit and it was difficult and not always pleasant. And yet Mary and Joseph, a young teenage couple, held on to hope through all of that. That if a God was great enough to provide some wise men a year later to cover some financial needs, that same God could tackle every single thing that would happen in their lives. They had a sense of hope. I hope that's true of us. We have a sense, like the shepherds, that that God is with us in our daily stuff. We have a a, a renewed sense of passion, purpose, and calling like the wise men. We've got a reason to be doing what we're doing. And like Mary and Joseph, we have a sense of hope even in the struggles of life. There's a God who cares for us and has much bigger and better plans. And Jesus, Jesus went on to live a life of purpose, purpose and on mission, and not just getting through the day, but, but actually living out this adventure, calling people back to a right relationship 
with God. And we're reminded that Christmas for Jesus did that. Christmas for us can go on thinking, man, how do I help call people back to a right relationship with God? How do I live every day in passion and purpose?